0: Welcome to Therapist Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real life matters.
1: Hey everybody, Sue Marriott here, and I'm Ann Kelly. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. And there is a, a national conversation happening every day right now, and we decided to bring this to Therapist Uncensored, probably because it's happening in our practice, in our households. And what, it's what really. What
2: conversation is that in, Kelly?
1: It is the national conversation about sexual harassment, sexual assault, about the media. Uh, we see it every day. Now, there's no way to wake up and turn on NPR or pick up your paper, and there is someone else that has an accusation. And just the level of uh, magnitude of the amount of sexual assault that's happened in our culture throughout time. What's happening now? The power differential—it is a—it's an everyday dialogue right now.
2: That's right. We're seeing it in our practices. Uh, people who have never spoken of their stories are uh, beginning to feel them, speak of them, and it is a exciting and power flip, really. As you know, there becomes safety in numbers, and
1: well, and the freedom. What you're saying is also sort of there's this process of when people start to have the dialogue and start to talk about it. And it's not the forbidden thing. There's a, there's an opening, there's a release. And then you have a lot of people talking about it, whether it's happening to them, people they love. There's, there's a, there's, what would you say? There's just an opening about it. That's
2: right. And for people who identify as women, it has been the, a most powerful power flip, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, strength in numbers. And in order to have this conversation, since we both identify as women, we thought it important to widen the conversation. So we have a very special guest with us today, someone who does not identify as a woman. His name is Mason Marriott Voss. And why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, Mason? Yeah.
0: Thank you for having me on. I'm a uh, currently a student here at the University of Texas at Austin, and I am excited to be here.
2: That's right. So we really wanted to widen the perspective, both from... Because it's a social media thing, Mason is very tied into that world and, uh, you know, some of the younger generation and also as a white man and privilege. And so this is going to be fun.
1: This is (laughs) definitely going to be fun. And one of the things that's so interesting and and one of the, I think the impetus and motivation for us doing this topic right now is we've mentioned both that we're seeing in our practice. And one of the things that's interesting is, and I'm going to imagine many listeners have experienced this. You um, open up the paper, somebody you know quite well, Louis C.K., Kevin Spacey, I mean, any number every day. And you start to talk with somebody you trust, you know, you love, your husband, your wife, your partner. And the conversation starts out often with, oh, my God, can you believe this has happened, right? And you're on the same side and you're talking about it. But how often does that digress into conflict? That's right. I see it actually in groups where we have
2: mixed gender groups, and uh, all of a sudden, the steam gets rolling.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, the guys, I just see them shrinking in their chairs. <laughs> <laughs> or getting mad. Right, <laughs> that's right. So it becomes very tense. And we want to talk about how to handle these things. You know, holidays are certainly coming up. And this is a touchy, uh, intimate, painful conversation. So Mason, what are your thoughts from the male perspective on this?
0: I'll start with actually sort of a, a thought I've been having about sort of conversations that has been happening, which is the sort of not all men conversation that a lot of people would like to say, like hashtag not all men. I want to start with it is all men, not not necessarily that all men are necessarily perpetrators of assault, but all men are definitely complicit within a system that helps make that acceptable. If if you can look at yourself as a man and say, I know that I have not committed any acts of sexual assault. But I would be surprised if you could look at yourself as a man and say, I know that I have been an active participant in preventing sexual assault. And if you're not being that active participant in in doing everything you can to prevent that, shutting down uh, derogatory comments about women uh, in groups of all men, etc., if you're not doing those things, actively intervening with men who are doing those kinds of things, then you are part of that problem. And we all are. All of the men that I have been around, that I've interacted with, in some way, shape, or form contribute to and definitely benefit from this system of systemic power that we all operate within. So it it really is all men. That being said, there are definitely people who identify as male trans men who I have heard from a couple of them, some friends of mine who want to make it clear that maybe it is hashtag not all men because they are male they are definitely identify as male they are very much real men uh, but are actually more statistically higher much higher likelihood of being victims of this uh, this form these forms of sexual assault sexual harassment than a lot of other groups and categories so we do want to be careful when talking about a male problem um, we want to make sure that that, yes, there is definitely a patriarchal system that influences and controls these dialogues, but that there are groups within that that are uh, slightly sort of pushed to the sides of those conversations.
2: Yeah, you know, it makes me think of bullying in general, which, you know, is related to power. The bystander and, effect. And exactly. And that when your social status goes up by being the one that humiliates and is degrading, then it's it's very, very, very hard to intervene. But as, you know, I think your your point is if we can change the social status so that what is cool and what raises your social status is speaking up and uh, calling people out and uh, things like that. Intervening. Intervening. Absolutely. You know, but without that, if your social status goes up, Charlie Sheen, for example, you know, our president, if your social status goes up with this kind of patriarchal power, it's like... This is part of why we're talking about this. And, and, Anne, your point about when people that love each other and that start out on the same side, all of a sudden something happens. And the dynamic that was being talked about out there, the power dynamic, happens right then, right there within the couple.
1: Oh, it's so powerful. And, Mason, I really, really like your point about. Can we get out? There? One thing I notice is, of course, as couples start to talk about it, and if we're talking about a heterosexual couple, so a woman is talking about maybe their experience about Harvey Weinstein, or honestly Trump. I I, I see personally in my practice, and this isn't specifically a political left-right wow. issue at all. Uh, I see women with both political parties feeling very almost traumatized. Well, not almost, actually traumatized about having a president who has actually engaged in sexual assault, acknowledged it at least, bragged, bragged about it, and that their experience of that actually feels somewhat traumatic. And what's interesting about that is often they're, Male spouse or brother support that. I mean, like they get it and they start in a conversation of support and care. But then I, I hear a bum, bum, bum. Yeah. <laughs> in the <laughs> end, <laughs> <that's> what happens. <laughs> well, in the end, they end up conflicting. And I want us to, to engage in a dialogue on what I appreciate having a male perspective in this. There's some things that I see happen that I have uh, I propose we talk about that could help explain that because I think it it ends up leaving couples sort of feeling, especially men. I see that a lot. I'm on your side. They'll turn and look at me and go, "I'm on her side. Why do I feel like the enemy in this conversation? And often Mason, what I hear is, I don't do that. I haven't done that. And of course, when your spouse or sibling is getting incredibly upset, you know, you have a tendency to want to defend yourself. And I would imagine yeah, as who a male
0: in any scenario.
1: Have you found yourself in that position as a male where around women who feel passionate and you feeling a desire yourself to defend?
0: Yeah, it, it almost feels like a sometimes it might feel like almost a requirement, like I've got to first establish myself as 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 the good guy, as like on your side or on your team.
1: So, one of the thoughts I have is that As you watch it, there is a culture we have where we must acknowledge, and I'll get your perspective on this, Mason, that men sometimes can approach this from a more analytical. They want to have a conversation. They want to analyze it and think about it. And they're dialoguing often, in my experience, about it as kind of a point of interest, not a care, a concern. They're there, but they can talk about it in a way that sounds educational, informational, problem solving and they haven't actually experienced the threat of that. Of course, I'm not talking about all men. Many men have obviously been harassed and assaulted. So I'm talking, I guess we're talking more about the sort of the power differential. And what I notice is that women, and you're mentioning Sue, that there's not that many women who don't have a me too somewhere in their history. When we were talking about this topic, their body is having an alarm. They are recognizing and now talking about something that's been released that they've experienced that's been very traumatic to them. So as they're talking about it, their body's actually in a state of alarm while men, sometimes I observe, are talking about it supportively but a little analytically and in from an information standpoint. And that, that incongruence is what I see contributes quite often to the escalation. That's what I'm observing. What are y'all's thoughts on that?
0: I think that at least from the sort of outsider's perspective, I think that it's it's that ability and then therefore subsequent inability to to have that physical reaction that you're talking about. I think that a lot of people, a lot of specifically more likely men, have never been in a situation where they've had that that fear, mm-hmm. that, have that, you, have that you power ever, dynamic. Have
2: you ever had the feeling of threat like that?
0: I haven't. I honestly haven't. And so so it, I I can honestly say that there is no possible way I could imagine what being in that situation would be like. Mm-hmm. I I don't even have the beginnings of what that perspective would be. And so it's really hard as a man who's never been in a situation where I would be literally without power where I'd felt vulnerable in myself where I felt like I me my body could be violated or was being violated. It's really—I can't—I don't know how to connect with that. It's really hard to make that make that jump because I, I can't. It's impossible for me to imagine. It's an unspeakable act of violence that I can't even comprehend. So those conversations on the—what was Anne was talking about almost was that interpersonal level is very challenging for men or, or anyone who hasn't been in those play experiences to have because— it's really, it's hard to relate to that.
2: Right, and that's just so insightful to know that you don't understand, where I think, Anselm, what you're talking about is people think they understand. And there's, you know, like a most men don't sit around saying, I really don't get this. It's more of like, yeah, that would be terrible. And, you know, or let's it makes, talk
1: about it. Let's think about it, you know, exactly. from a, from a, a cultural been, perspective. Or, or let's, let's analyze it. it.
2: What has it been like for you? Like, tell me more about it. Uh, so we'll get into some of the suggestions about how to make this go uh, better hopefully but it makes me think about you know some of the research that says that women's when you say what is your what is the most threatening thing in the opposite sex and of course women say being raped or killed right away and then if you ask a man that a man will typically say something like being laughed at by a woman and I've gotten into arguments with men about this where that they're like, no, but that is the same thing. It is violating and intrusive, but it's more of like you're in a position right now that you and, – and how have you cultivated this awareness that you really don't get it?
0: I think the best way to answer that question is to simply – expose yourself, not not actually expose yourself, but be let's be very careful about our wording here uh, is, to, is to help let yourself be exposed to other ideas and and not other ideas, but other perspectives on an issue and to have uh, or to listen to those conversations as they occur around you and to recognize that wow this is just beyond my scope of understanding and and being sitting in a circle and hearing those conversations hearing those stories being told or even looking at all the me too's on facebook or however you get your exposure to all of this this just evolving conversation just allowing yourself to recognize that, that there's a whole section of the world and what happens in the world that you were just not aware of or have never been able to interact with. And that first incongruency is is where you can really begin to understand yeah, you, you, the, the magnitude of your inexperience. Or you
2: notice that there is a gap. Absolutely. And w- another thing that makes me think of is that where men have said before, uh, oh, okay, I get it, is when, or at least a clue to it, is heterosexual man who gets the willies or whatever imagining either perceiving or imagining being checked out by gay man. And that that begins to get at like this unwanted attention and this feeling of creepiness. But that's about as close as I've heard somebody kind of talk about it as well. And it's
1: often older, right? Like, I don't know that that's the experience of the younger population. Even that probably, I don't know. What's your opinion?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've definitely heard that example as well before. And I feel like, it kind of gets there. I'm sure that resonates with, with some individuals, but I know that myself or even some of my friend group as well uh, has a harder time relating to that as sort of uh, such a insecure place. As um, mm-hmm. actually physically threatening. Right. It's, it's not as or upsetting. threatening or yet. Yeah. That whole idea
1: isn't as threatening. Right, and you were right. saying in about the biology of this and threats right. so just to go back Yeah, to, to go that. back to the biology of it. So I'm curious to ask you another question Mason in this and that you were saying that one of the things to do is you have to sit in a room and with, let's just say a man sitting in a room with women talking about this. And again, I'm seeing the women often when they start to talk about, it, talk about it from a heightened state, right? right. Yeah. is that your experience? Like you, you Absolutely. see women get, like a lot more agitated than if a man's talking about it. Is that fair? Yeah,
0: no, okay. for sure.
1: So you're seeing the body heightened. I would say a that that may be challenging to not feel because when we have somebody heightened and talking at us more intensely, it instigates a defensive posture in our body. Just well, because the, of that. it instigates our own threat response. Yeah, it's like it's like why are you getting so intense with me? I'm on your side, right? And it's really hard to absorb that to go to be the object for somebody to go. Of course, you're that intense. That must be horrible. that's It's just hard to do for anybody and And then I do think men right now are sort of the subject that can I can imagine as a man feeling sort of the subject of a lot of um, hostility as a as a culture. Would you agree and that's yeah,
0: for sure. there's a definite need to sort of validate yourself mm-hmm. uh, and and defend yourself and say, no, that's not me. Right. Especially when you feel something going,
1: wow, I get, and then I'm wondering when you, I was really interested when you were thinking about the idea of sitting in a room and going, this is an experience that I don't know. So again, I'm asking you as a male representative, and expert in my experience, (laughs) you're like, well, we use that term. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Okay. But I I see that sometimes in our culture that is really hard for men to do, to sit in a room and say, I don't know.
0: Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I think that as specifically as a white male, there's an often tendency uh, for myself, but I'll generalize a little bit and say that in in, in the majority of white men that I'm around, there's a tendency to, to, to know everything. And if you don't know something, then something's wrong with you. Or if you can't explain or articulate something, then something's wrong with you. And that's often interpreted sort of as like the male answer syndrome to just jump in and say whatever you want to say. But I think that in these conversations and being present in these conversations, the most important part is knowing when to not say anything, knowing when to let others speak, to let other opinions into the room and to to really hear your gap in knowledge, to recognize that you're way outside of the realm of experience. And so that maybe your opinion or stray thought doesn't need to be interjected in this exact moment.
2: Oh, I to that. <laughs> <laughs> there there
0: there isn't there, there there's a time and place for you to have your conversation and and in a circle of a bunch of women having this con- ha- talking about it amongst themselves. I think that as a as a male or someone who identifies as male, it's important to recognize that your that your role in that situation is mostly to, to listen and to learn and to to contribute in the small ways, the the joining with the simple, yes, I see how that would be terrible, the simple, I can't even begin to fathom what that could experience could be like. And then I think the place for more active conversation or more involvement, more active interjection, I guess, by men is, is within circles of men. And this is something I sort of hinted at earlier, is that the active intervention, the stopping of any sort of reconstitution of a power dynamic that exists within circles of men if if a group of men start objectifying a woman or catcalling her et cetera, if you're in that circle and you don't actively intervene to stop it you've 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 done a disservice to the to the community and to the world at large
2: yeah and but that typically doesn't happen
0: right oh for sure that that is very rare it's it's seen almost as weak to interject yeah. and to be like hey dude don't say that or or what are you doing or yeah. even
1: even if you if you think about Speaking about what you're hearing that is publicly happening, whether it's with our president or these individuals, how you speak about it, and sometimes what, because there's a need right now, or what I see, kind of a feeling of defense, because a lot of men are feeling defensive, and understandably on some level, because you're hearing a lot of hostility about. I mean, this is not just a today's issue right this is this is throughout time and throughout culture this power differential between men and women has existed and one would say like hopefully that we're we're, we're um shortening that gap maybe i don't know maybe I think that's we're our just hope? becoming
0: more aware of that gap
1: more aware and more and i think women getting the freedom to speak about it more rather than being eye-rolled or seen as ridiculous i think that to me is what i'm seeing sort of the feeling of almost release and so when I see women wanting to talk and getting very elevated, it's like the sense of release. We get to say the socks, and, um, being able to do that. And like what you're saying, Mason, have somebody go, wow, that, you know, I didn't realize that must be like to be able to not have the answers and try to pontificate about it, but really feel heard. That's what the wives are looking for. Not. Your insights as much. Not saying you don't want to engage in that dialogue, but I guess one of the suggestions I would make if you see that person, the woman in your life, starting to elevate about it is like to be curious about it and to be caring rather than to move into a defensive posture that says, wait, that's not me, that's not me.
2: Yeah. And to use your power mm-hmm. to help her speak and to help her be heard. And whether this applies to race and those power dynamics, but like being whoever's in the power position to use our power to draw the other person out and create safety, because honestly, part of sexual trauma, you know, there's the event that happened, but then there's the event, the event and set of events that happen after it happens. Mm -hmm. And that is really, I think what is resonating right now is, is there collusion?
1: Is there, are you believed are you silenced? Are you punished? Are you are you judged for waiting so long? Like why right. a lot of people are like why are they speaking now, right? Are you
2: questioned? Right. Um, that your experience isn't true. Uh, you know, is there a, is there another attempt to like confuse your mind? Of, like did that happen? Did it not ha- like the the second wave of it is equal to or at times worse than because if a bad thing happens, and you're able to say this thing happened, and people surround you and say, that's a terrible thing that happened, we're going to protect you. And we believe you. And we're going to get this person and and remove them and make sure that this never happens to you again. That's that's an event that goes down in your body as you're talking about Ian really differently than when it's invisible. And that you feel colluded or like some sort of like somehow we've been made to feel that you're part of it or that you caused it because of just the dynamic that happens the grooming that happens
1: well yeah what's and those i think i think harvey weinstein was a really big example yeah oh hugely of that where it was a very difficult conversation because you could hear some people not just men women too saying well but yeah but these these women didn't have to do that right because they didn't have to they they you know it really was their choice like some people could say uh, i know one conversation i heard overheard was some people could say that you know some people give up their careers they don't have to make that choice they can keep their integrity instead of giving up their integrity Oh boy, if I, when I watched that conversation and it was not in my therapy office, I'm not, I'm not revealing any kind of confidential information here, but boy, if I'd have seen feathers on the back of a neck go up, because of what you're saying is if you held and participated in that somehow you didn't have integrity was implied mm-hmm. and that, that, that not, and it was really evident in this conversation that this person that had said that had never really been in a role to have their entire well-being in somebody else's hands. And Harvey, that was...
0: If there's a power dynamic that exists almost to any degree, there is, you've lost any ability to control the outcome of that situation. The idea that the victims could have done something differently is almost as laughable as like the she-was-asking-for-a narrative that a lot of people, um, I think, hopefully, I, at least I've seen less of it, have stopped pushing. I think that the just idea that there's a choice involved in any encounter of assault is is really silly.
2: So what about then, going back to Louis C.K.? Is that his? Yes, Louis, Louis C.K.
0: <laughs> with the times. With the times. I <laughs> no, I'm not with the times.
2: That's why you've <laughs> got some age differential <laughs> here. <laughs> but there are a ton of people that obviously weren't there and haven't seen him, but his fans that are completely supporting him and feel like he's being misunderstood. Just as one example... So what about that? Because that's exactly what happened with Trump, right? And
1: I roll, everybody's making too big of a deal. Or, will be or boys. The, classic, the classic, that was a part of the times, right? We're in different times, so we shouldn't be holding people accountable to the different times, which is, I guess, not Louis C.K. So what are your thoughts about that?
0: Well, to speak on Louis C.K. actually briefly, I think that he's actually a better example of how to handle the situation. His response to the allegations was to just straight up admit it. He was like, yes, that was me. I did those things. They were wrong. And I think that I'm curious to see how he accepts the consequences of those things and if I'll continue to agree that he handled it correctly. Um, But as of now, um, I think he's handling it fairly well um, in terms of how you should respond to allegations or accusations of sexual assault. But I do think that that is an interesting question. Like, do you continue to support or back somebody um, and what does that look like? It, like, for example, Kevin Spacey, I think, is a, someone a lot of people are talking about uh, in terms of, like, before all of this came out, I definitely thought he was a fantastic actor. He's one of my favorite actors. But now, how do I interact with his work, his movies? It's definitely sort of shaded the lens through which I view all of his work, knowing sort of what he did behind the scenes. But this is a this is a conversation that really, how to view work after somebody said something bad has been going on for a, a while, especially in the realm of sports. There are a lot of like yes, OJ is a, a great point. example, mm-hmm. but there, but it goes back forever of examples of sports, like athletes who either get caught cheating or like beating up kill somebody, somebody yes. or or some other form sexual even, assault even sexual assault sexu- yeah the, 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 that, the sexual yeah. assault is a lot newer coming out the older the older stuff that people were accused for was a lot more like in the 50s and stuff was a lot of cheating stuff and how do you view their work after they've done something like that and i think that's something not a lot of people have really come to solid answers on but i definitely think it it sort of colors the way we look at what they've done and presented to the public as as, as their products
2: yeah it makes me think of bill cosby and uh, Woody Allen, and the, the story around, you know, Mia trying to get her story out and being absolutely squashed. And then the establishment really rallying around Woody Allen, he still works, he's still very successful in the field. And so, yeah, you're right. So how like, I guess some of it is there has to be men listening out there either to us right now or seeing this on their Facebook feeds that have done this. It's like, what about them? What, what would we ask? If we could ask something of them, what would we ask of them?
0: Uh, the men who've committed? Yes, assault?
2: the many, 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 many men that must be part of this.
0: Uh, well, like, I think that, like I sort of said earlier, I think all men are part of this mm-hmm, system. Mm-hmm. You've, I, I, think, I think you are lying to yourself as a man. If you think you have not enabled any of this in any way way, shape or form
1: so one of the things then that would add to the dialogue as you've been saying it would be not to be focusing on not me not Mm -hmm, me mm -hmm. right it's,
0: it's a very natural reaction to have but it is you I guess. And I mm-hmm. in a, in a, n- as non accusory ways, I could say that sort mm-hmm. of like, cause I understand the impulse. I promise you, I understand the impulse. You have it
1: sometimes. I, ha- I, mean. I
0: have it all the time when yeah. these conversations happen. I want to clarify, this is definitely not me. I have not done these things, but I've, I've contributed to a system, be it not even directly, but just in the indirect bystander nature of my contribution. I have allowed this system to exist and continue to exist. And it's only in the active intervention in that system that we stop it. So I guess to answer your question, Sue, it's really about being able to, what What do we ask of people who have committed that assault? I don't know if that's a come forward question, because now you get into questions of maybe outing survivors who don't want to be outed, but definitely some recognition or just acceptance of what you have done and being able to, being able to at least have enough of a backbone to recognize that, that you did a terrible thing and not either miscrediting or saying that the accusers are just doing it for attention or oh, God, that's the doing worst. some other publicity stunt to sort of distract from that conversation, whatever it may be, uh, just at least to use a sexist phrase, man up. Right, I, I don't really like that phrase a lot, but but have a backbone. understand when you've made a mistake and admit to it. Well, and so
2: go, go
1: ahead. Well, and, and also, I guess it depends on what you're owning up to, right? And I appreciate your response that if you're owning up to something, that's going to out somebody in to to really be able to be aware of that, and whether it's active engagement in it. And it depends on what it is. Think about things that you might not have even recognized. I imagine some people are now having the experience of, oh, my God, like I didn't even sort of let myself recognize that power differential and taking advantage of it. So you probably historically go back and have this kind of feeling of, Ugh, you know, I've certainly experienced that with clients. And to be able to kind of come forward, go, wow, I, uh, we might differ a little bit on Louis C.K.'s good job. But I, and I've noticed that some women are having a little bit of a hard time because he kept saying that Sorry, I took advantage that they admired me. He never talked about... You're
0: right. I don't like that language. Yeah, he
1: never talked about his power differential. In fact, he sort of kept his admiring role, right? So I think a lot of women... I noticed that men... Well, I can't cross cross the board, just my experience, that men generally felt more satisfied with that. And I do understand what you're saying. At least he came out and said, I did it, I did it. But women... Felt him not identifying the power differential. So, if you go back, for instance, and you think about your own power differential and you know you used it, number one is you don't do it to your best of your ability and make amends. Like,
0: so I want to think what do you think making amends looks like? Like, what would you like to see from those men who do get called out and who do want to do recognize when they've made a mistake?
2: Well, I was actually, that's kind of where I was going with like, I just to, if I can challenge you just a little bit, because you're saying, it sounds really good what you're saying, but do you, around like, I'm a perpetrator, I've been part of this and stuff like that, but how do you feel about that? And you're sitting here with two women, and you're saying, I have
0: intentionally, perhaps. Intentionally or unintentionally, either way. Right,
2: but like, just because. I think if we don't kind of go into the difficulty, because that sounds really mm-hmm. good. It's hard to but do. But if we don't go into the real difficulty of like, why did you, why were you a bystander? And like really honestly, uh, like and how, like, do you really mean it when you say you're part of this, you know? Can you, can you really feel it?
0: Yeah, I, I think that that is a is a very excellent point and something that the the really feeling it or really meaning it part is definitely a goal to be achieved. I know that sort of cognitively on a like an intellectual level, I fully understand the implications of my decisions to act or not act in specific instances to call out somebody for catcalling a woman, etc. or to even greater degrees. If so, I'm sure some people have have just been bystanders in very physical acts of assault, etc. cetera. Um, and I think all of those things are part of that, but it, it does, it is really hard to honestly be that reflective and to look at yourself and make those calls and be like, yes, I should have done something differently in that moment. And, and I, and it's, it's, it's definitely a struggle. And I think that the easiest way to, to do that and to own up to that is to start by being an active interventionist. It's, it's really hard to start by first saying, I am complicit in this system. I think the first thing that's easier to do is is to see see something and then, like all the ads say, say something. To see, to just, even like small stuff, cat calling, et cetera, the example I keep using, because I think it's the easiest to call out really quickly, easily, and shut it down. Just be like, hey, dude, like don't do that, of, et yeah. cetera. And, and, and in, in, in doing that, you can start pushing back against those systems. And once you do that, you'll notice... Once you start doing that, you'll begin to notice more and more how many times you haven't done it in the past.
2: So can you give an example of like have you done have you begun to do this?
0: Absolutely. I've I've definitely taken steps to intervene. Um, so h-
2: how does that look? Like can you really paint a picture of how does it actually sound over there in the men's world?
0: Are <laughs> <or> you <laughs> party? Are you Yeah, uh, no, really? Like are you what like a how, room? how
2: crude is it? Like, what has actually
0: happened? I mean, a, a, an example that comes to my mind is for my graduation. Uh, not my graduation, but for, like, an end-of-year party. We all went to um, Schlitterbahn, which is, like, a big group of my friends and everything. And I will say that my friend group is almost entirely women. But there were a couple other guys there. And um, so we were at Schlitterbahn, and one of my friends just was, like, like, just pointed to, like, a one of the girls who was just sunbathing. Not in our friend group. Just a random girl who was sunbathing out on a towel. And just, he was, like... No, she looks pretty good. And my response to that, and actually my friend's response as well, the two of us both turned to him and just like, it's like, was that necessary? I think is what my other friend actually said to him, It's like, was that really necessary? There's no reason to like call that out or to do that. I understand that 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 that's a sort of a smaller example because that wasn't, I mean, she didn't hear that. There was no other implications of that. But it's a it's a it's one of those steps, and it's just a small thing that builds. And if you can do that, if you can be like. Really, was that was that necessary? I don't think that was... Imp- like, you didn't need to do that. Like, that's not... Right. just like
1: a tap. Right? Yeah, just like, like dude, yeah. chill. What I like um, about that is that it's not humiliating to the person because I think that's something right now that we're doing in the culture a lot that is making it sort of a threat threat is there's a lot of finger-wagging and shaming which, again, is not the easiest way for someone, like you're saying, to kind of, when we're like, oh, men are this and men are that, it's pretty hard to kind of go, yes, I suck, right? right But what you're saying is, is like, was that ne- necessary? Which is what we always say on the podcast, is that's face-saving. Like,
0: you know, it probably wasn't. You know, you didn't like, dude, you're... A- yeah, give them an out. Don't, give them out, don't and then move on. You don't have to call them out and shame them for it entirely. Right. I mean, obviously, if they're doing something egregious, you should probably definitely intervene and do whatever you can to avoid just the tap on the shoulder if it's a bigger problem you should definitely intervene more there but but for sure just little taps to, to nudge people back into their own lanes so
2: can i bring in i'm i'm sitting here thinking about imagining i'm imagining listeners um hopefully if we have a wide enough range going are you serious really what's wrong with checking out a hot girl and you know that's a compliment to her like why do you think she's wearing that because she wants to look good
1: she wants people to be looking at her. If she was, she wouldn't be wearing a, ba- a, a bikini,
0: right?
2: Like that, yeah. Like, I, I mean, I really, right? Is that not, I can't, I mean, I'm hearing it in my head. I can.
0: Sh- yeah, sure. Um, I guess the simplest answer I have to that is, A, if, if she really is, let's just assume that she is wearing that swimsuit just so that other people will check her out. Um, if that's true, why do you have to do that out loud? You can do that in your head. That's not something that needs to be. So you're cool with it. You're cool with
2: enjoying the the hot girl laying there with her bathing suit on.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I <laughs> you're I, gonna appreciate. That. You're gonna appreciate. Yeah, sure. But it's also it's also really hard. You can't police that. There's no way to control what happens inside someone's head. Right now, should you objectify and only quantify women based on or men based on how they appear, etc. Probably not. But. To some extent, that's that that's really unavoidable. And and yeah, maybe maybe we can assume that she is just wearing that swimsuit, so you'll think that or make that comment. But but it doesn't need to be like was it necessary? It doesn't need to be said out loud. Just keep it in your head. Um, because I think B, if that is directed, like what it what if what if she's wearing that swimsuit because it makes her feel good about her body? She doesn't care what, or or right. I don't. I I I'll speak more from my own subject position. I wear a swimsuit, right? Just rather bathing trunks. I don't I don't care what you have to think about my body. I don't. I, you can think whatever you want as long as it stays in your own head. All I care about is the way I feel in my own skin. And if I feel comfortable or if I feel good in whatever I'm wearing, if I'm wearing an outfit that looks great, I don't need you to get all up in my business to sort of impose that, impose your own interpretation of that on me. I'm wearing it for myself. Not for you. So don't make assumptions. So don't assume, You don't get to yeah.
1: project what's what I think that's part of what we're saying is you don't get to project what your assumption is about that person's desire or intent and then rationalize your ability to then speak out loud. And let's be honest, obvious oftentimes that exact same situation is said loud enough for the woman to hear. Absolutely. Right, and, right. And so occasionally it's just to the left and you know. But it's it's often said intentionally loud enough and I think many women have experienced that as a power differential, and as an experience where men somehow at times have been mistakenly believing that some woman is going to enjoy that experience. And I'm not saying some women don't, I'm not left or right on that, but to assume that she wants that and to then project that on her with no choice and to do into, and, and to have men talking about it right now is so, I think for me to hear it as such a everyday conversation, I'm relieved by it
2: right and you know i want to keep incorporating like sometimes we want to be objectified True. like that's not you know this isn't an anti-sexual you know be proud prudish, of who you are where oh my gosh i'm just
1: having this memory You said that i remember when i was young working in a kitchen and i would walk through and get cat calls and i remember talking to my mom about this and literally, though, my mom was very liberal. She was, And so I'm sort of shocked at her response. And I remember her saying, Honey, it's when they stop calling, you need to worry. And now I understand that. <laughs> so I, I didn't want that. And I was sort of shocked when she said it. Now I get it, but it it is sort of a confusing response for me. <laughs> right, because there's such a thing
2: as healthy, sort of a somewhat forward sexuality. And I want to just be talking about this in a really grounded way of leaving lots of rooms for just, you know, the various sexual expressions and the health of that and the the empowerment of that.
0: Yeah, I think it's hard to sort of, I think it's really hard to set a definition of what guys can or can't say yes, to women yes. in a bar or yes. at a pool, et cetera. I think that all you can do as a man is sort of check yourself. And I guess, I guess a, a way to do this is if, if you have a sister or maybe you, or if you have a mother that you know, or, or any, any family member, um, that just first, before you say anything, think, would I want to hear someone else say this too? female member of my family.
1: Yeah, would I want and, somebody speaking to my daughter or my yeah, wife? And, and, or, the,
0: and, the, and the answer is probably not. Yeah, honestly. Um, and and in which case, then why is it necessary for you to say it out loud and, and to
1: assert your experience? Because yeah, and,
0: to, yeah I, and, and you can then and what that means is that doesn't mean necessarily you don't say anything to that girl. It maybe means you just change what you say. You can there. There are definitely more respectful ways to comment on a woman's dress than than whatever crude like pun you were going to make in the first place. You can you can avoid all that by just imagining. Just put put yourself on the outside of the situation and think, would that feel weird if that happened to someone else?
2: You know, it makes me think of an interview that we did with Doug Braun Harvey talking about the principles of healthy sexuality. And one of the big ones, of course, is consent, consent. Mm-hmm. and mutuality and non-exploitation. Those were a couple of them, actually. Mm-hmm. And so how about something like, we are all thumbs up for sexual objectification, as long as it's a mutual experience. With um, consent. That with, That's
1: right. It's kind of like what you talk about with, with kids when you say humor in a joke is not funny unless both people laugh. That's right. Right? It's, yeah, it's so if when you're making a joke at somebody else's expense, and it's a kind of a you can you can feel the hostility, and when you're laughing because the other person's feeling humiliated, that's not a funny joke. And so when you're projecting, for my going back to my examples about the cat calls and the whistles, I can literally still in my body feel the humiliation I felt, right? I think I was 14 or 15, and I can remember, I can literally viscerally feel the humiliation I felt because the kitchen was really long, and I had to experience it walking all the way through. And so I can physically talk about that. And so when somebody, to go back to our original example, if I'm in a conversation with somebody saying, look, I don't think whistling and catcalling is that big of a deal you know, what we're really, t- it, it, and, and women like to be objectified and women like to know, come on, right, I can, I can relate to wanting to, you know, some, reach out, like slap out, you know, and, and what am I looking for? Uh, punch to punch (laughs) yes i'm like are you like really what's just coming up is the frontal lobe is expletive what the effing are you thinking
0: about that you would
1: think that That i would would want that (laughs) if you're
0: if you're a dude what are you doing saying things like women want x yes i really don't know why like guys think that that they understand like women what women want (laughs) I really, I I think that, I don't know, y'all are the the therapist experts, but I would imagine that that there's often a miscommunication about those things that occur. And so if you're going to make a generalization about women want to be objectified, that kind of assumes you understand all women on a fundamental level, which I don't think anyone can understand all of any group exactly. on a fundamental level but especially male to female interactions it feels <laughs> like a disconnect i don't know y'all are the experts uh, on no, that No,
2: that's great i think that's <laughs> funny and then the but you know and 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 women doing it too so i'm i'm struck by like you had this great humor about like oh now you know what your mom meant but also if we really just sort of listen it's like there is that was a humiliating experience for you that you go to a protective person And later in your adult adult life, you can look back and like, oh, she was so right, you know, because you're not in that humiliated experience. But I think sometimes women unintentionally do that to other women, too.
1: Oh, actually. And because she was of a different generation. I mean, all you have to go look uh, for my mom is look at madmen. Right. And so that was her culture. Right. And so it was like, oh, God, it was kind of like, woman, that's going to always happen. Right. And so we're talking about cultural differences as much reason why we, you know, or generational differences to have somebody younger on the program because it does change from generation. We're hoping, you know, like right. it's changing. I, mean, from- I think
0: clearly it's changing in some yes. way or form.
1: It is because now I'm like, if my daughter said that somebody was catcalling, And I know the deeper part of my mom would never think that was okay, right? right? right, right. But her culture, I mean, she was raised in an absolutely madman. I used to visit her at work and I can remember the kind of dynamics of how the boss would treat the women. And it was very, very, I mean, now to have your children watch Mad Men, they would look at you like you had five heads, you know? But that was our real, my mother's real experience. And it was not my experience and hopefully not my daughter's experience. I, I want to have hope that it's just part of this dialogue as it's helping to get better and better but boy we have a long way to go we do know that
2: well and i can really hear the difference even in some of mason's stories mm-hmm. because i think that the what we're calling cat calling or the or the boy talk I think it's changed. I don't think it's the way it used to be. And even when you responded, when I said about if you're hetero if you identify as heterosexual and you imagine men leering at you or whatever, and you kind of shrug and like, what, what's the harm in that? You know, that's flattering. <laughs> um, I've heard you say before. So um uh it has changing a lot. And right. this is, it's it's changing a lot and it's not like we can really feel the pushback
1: like we just who did we just elect right i think that's what i was going to say it's changing and yet when we get we can have the backlash and i think getting back to our original point of, of that we see a lot of threat happening right now which is one reason why we wanted to do this podcast and this episode is to speak to that to help actually impact the threat because the some of the threat is in fact that they're what we're talking about right now in the Weinsteins and things how much it's embedded in our culture and how much it's been supported. I mean, these are not things that have been happening and nobody knew about it. These are things that has been deeply entrenched and accepted. And so to be everybody's outrage, partly not because it's happening, because it's being it's been accepted. And so I think one of the things we said we were going to do in this podcast is to continue. We've done some already about some ideas. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to do. Yeah, go. let's talk about some more ideas yep. because... I'm talking about it. I also feel very compassionate for men in those positions. I don't think I came across compassionate, but I do feel like I feel compassionate for men feeling like that they really try to not be those people and yet their, their spouses or whatever is getting hostile. That's not an easy position.
2: So let's talk real quickly then about how do we create a safe
1: uh, a safe dialogue for, for everybody. to Right. To, to like how do we safety. make that dialogue go where we're, we're staying on the same tune, we're talking about it, how do we end as friends and not foe? So how do we do that?
0: I think that I've sort of mentioned a little bit of this earlier, but just from a, from a male perspective, if, if we're using a heterosexual married couple as the example, the husband in that situation, I think just recognizing that you are not the authority on the subject. That mm-hmm. it is not your time or place. You hear? To, you hear
2: that, guys?
1: <laughs> Listen <laughs> up. Will I say that again?
0: <laughs> you are not the authority on the subject. Is that hard, though? Isn't it? It's Mason? very I mean, hard. Can you talk
1: I, about that from a male perspective? I, that I, that can
0: be challenging. It's super challenging. I'm like, I don't. It's hard for me to do that in my own experience, and and just giving up that authority is is something that's really difficult to do. But I think that the most important thing to do is just. Listen to what the women around you want, which is why I wanted to ask y'all, what would y'all suggest as the best way to approach or resolve these problems interpersonally amongst husband and wife or just friends of different genders, et cetera? Women are the most qualified to answer that question, I feel like.
1: I think for me, one of the things that I think I want and that I see go well is just what you're saying. Somebody be going, God... I- I had no idea how bad it was and how hard it is. Empathy, not jumping to solving the problem or giving opinions about why it is that way. I think when you immediately start feeling alarmed and somebody starts giving opinions and thoughts about why it is that way in a defensive posture, it just, I can feel myself edge up. And I think going, good God almighty, this is so hard. Like, you know, really I can't imagine. And it really has been, what ways have you experienced it? Asking questions.
2: Right. And, you know, empathy is tricky given if we roll back to what we started with, which was if you've never had that experience and you have really fundamentally never felt threatened, how do we get to empathy? And I think that is a real challenge. And Mm -hmm. so I really love this notion of coming to uh, awareness of these gaps and that's why I asked you to say it again. It's like that we don't know and that that is threatening. And now, okay, now we're moving into a more empathetic stance when you have to give up power and give up some of the safety. Now we're moving a little closer together and not know instead of no, those sorts of things. Oh, and also yeah. perhaps even, you know, one of the thing, one exercise that used to happen on the campus actually, and this was back when you actually had to do this, to get empathy for, for example – in sexual ed or whatever, okay, you know, we're going to talk about homosexuality. That's what they called it back then. And one of the assignments was that you needed to walk down the drag, which is a very busy street here in Austin, uh, holding hands with the same sex person. And that that was the only way to kind of get the experience of like the humiliation or the fear. And all of a sudden, you're looking around and that really immersing yourself. And so I wonder if there's a version of that with this. And you know, not to be graphic, but really letting yourself go to these empathetic places of like, what was that like? Really listening, really helping. I don't want to keep saying the woman because it's not always the woman that has been victimized. Whoever's been, vic- whoever's whoever's been victim victimized. Whoever's been victimized. Whoever's in that position to really work to get in their shoes and work to imagine what that might be like. Mm. Uh, and I think it is work, I think it's really conscious, active intent and so it's not going to be fast and it's not going to be natural necessarily.
1: Well, one of the things I love what you're saying is is in the process of doing that, if we just stick again to maybe the the male doing that for a female that's talking that's upset, if instead of defending which puts you in a you know, you know, we defend because we feel weak and attacked, so we go to a defensive to be more powerful, the very act of going tell me more and really not knowing actually changes that power dynamic right then absolutely letting the woman be angry and being there to say god get it not or i'm I the good guy yeah. i don't you're right i don't get it and I, not to fight to be the good guy that can come later but to be the one that actually goes into a submissive role at that moment, yes. and just by saying, "I don't
0: get it," I really don't get it. Tell me more. I can't even comprehend what that would be like.
1: Yes.
2: but but tell I would like. But I would like to, and tell me more. And and so asking questions—that's another thing that I—it matters a lot to me. I really notice if somebody asks questions or not, because mm. it's like, do you want to know what's in my mind, and do you want to know? Do you care to know what's in my heart, and do you care to? be willing to experience the pain that I may talk about or the disorganization or the, the experience of that. And without really kind of feeling drawn out, I think many people will make that assumption of like, not that interested. We don't normally talk about this. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to make anybody mm-hmm. else feel
1: bad. But tell me more and draw somebody else. And it What was the worst you. part? You could say things like, what was the worst part? Why didn't anybody listen to you? What was that like? Uh, how working? often has this happened? Right. Uh, Questions of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think for men's behalf, I think for women who are feeling stirred up and challenged, and they know their spouse is not really support you is is sometimes to be able to say, I am so angry. I don't. I, you are not the bad guy. I do not think you're the bad guy. You aren't the bad guy, but can you please listen? Like somehow giving that person the out to say, I sound angry at you and I am. Can you handle it? It's really not you. I mean, if you can just say it's really not you, but I really need to be mad, that goes a long way to helping um, the man in your life become the listener. Would you agree,
0: Mason? Yeah, no, that, that's, that, that is hearing that and being able to hear that really helps with what we were talking about sort of a lot earlier, which is. The defensive posture that men often immediately take. Yes. And and have, being able to get over that initial defensive flare up really can help you as a as a man help like like really connect with that moment and being able to experience whatever your partner or whatever wants to share with you about that information.
2: That's right. Because the male script because we've got the female script and the male script. The male script is to fix it or to do something about this, and that moves. Feel us responsible. To feel yeah. responsible. That's right. And it moves. It's part of what moves people into an active position of, uh, you know, either handing them the Kleenex or, you know, something that is unintentionally shutting down versus this open place that we're talking about that is actually much more vulnerable of Mm -hmm. being willing even to hear the details of the story. A lot of people are really scared to ask about things like that because they don't want to make the other person feel bad. But what I would say is like, there's a way to really show your interest and ask with obvious respect that if they don't want to talk about it, but I can tell you most women will not have had very much the experience of someone saying, and then what happened and how far did it go? And what, you know, like really telling the story. And so anybody listening right now, like, yeah, if we could tune, it's like tuning in to these stories. The reason that the Facebook your Facebook feed is full of this. Is that we haven't had room to tell, and we haven't had people asking, and we haven't had people interested. We've actually, typically, I would say, experienced more of the shutdown and the move along and the and, the, and, and owning too much responsibility for it.
1: It's not. And I, I love what you're saying because part of saying "tell me more" is you have to sit with your own experience of helplessness. Yes. So some reasons we That's jump. That's empathy. <laughs> right. We jump, to, we, we jump to fix it because sitting in the discomfort of somebody else's pain is so hard. So in in that it does, it does feel powerless when you're listening to somebody you love talk about something that happened to them, you experience powerlessness. And so to sit in that powerless position with them could be the most healing because when you jump to fix it, it may sound caring and loving and you're going, but look, I'm trying to talk about fixing it because I'm the good guy. But really what it is, is you've taken yourself out of the role of vulnerability into the fix it. And now you've actually fixing it. Right. You actually unintentionally just took the power role, right? Instead of staying and feeling what it's like and imagining and being there, then you're really actually sitting in a more vulnerable place that is a much more connecting healing place for both. So that's definitely the movement towards empathy. I
2: totally, because now we have two vulnerable people. So for those of you, thank you for hanging in with us today. And uh, there's a couple of things. One is, um, you know, to the question of what to do about it. Why don't you turn to your loved ones and continue this conversation in this super open, hopefully, as Dan Siegel says, the FACES with a FACES frame, which stands for flexible, adaptive, coherent energetic, stable, meaning being curious and open and continue the conversations with those close to you. Um, I think they would appreciate it. And if you are one of the me twos to keep talking and to get your story out there, it's so important and to keep doing it and find a receptive listener and teach people how to
1: listen, teach them what you need. Or for those that aren't ready and don't want to do the Me Too, that don't feel the pressure in the Me Too, because there shouldn't be a pressure in the Me Too. There's no disgrace in not getting out there in some public forum because that's your experience, but to find somebody that you can talk to so that you can help move to a more healing place.
2: So Mason, you look excited about that particular comment.
0: Absolutely. I definitely have interacted with a lot of people um, who... Feel pressured to share their story, and there's no pressure to share your story. There's no pressure, even if maybe the maybe some guy is asking you more of those leading questions, like, "Well, then what happened? Tell me." There's no, there's, that's not a necessary part. It can definitely, as as we've already discussed, be super helpful and and be very that all the bonding, putting yourself in the vulnerable position, etc. But there's no requirement ever to share anything that you don't feel comfortable sharing or to to present yourself as anything that you don't want to present yourself as. That is never a requirement on anyone to share anything about their their own experiences if they don't want to
2: that's right it's and and it's that gives the person the experience of having their boundary respected mm-hmm. which is directly absolutely. healing for what has typically happened where their boundaries were violated absolutely so uh another uh little easter egg here if it's not obvious yet uh part of Mason's qualifications. <laughs> Uh, as we've spent quite a lot of time together, he is my firstborn, and I am super proud of him. And I c- hope that uh, I can imagine that you all can hear in the way that he talks and presents himself uh, some of why that his mom might be pretty proud of this little guy. Learn from a smart one. <laughs> <That's an awesome laughs> I man. say, little guy. He's six two. <laughs> so, hey, thank you guys so much for hanging in here with us. And since you are still listening, we know that you are must have gotten something valuable. So if that's the case, please share the episode and subscribe if you haven't already. And here's the really cool thing. We're going to do a live conference with David Elliott, author of Attachment Disturbances and Adult, co-author of Attachment Disturbances in and Adult, in Adults here in Austin, Texas on April
1: Seventh, so, so come join, yes, no matter where you come. are. We,
2: we've got people coming from overseas to see this thing. So yes. it's really cool. And then also, Angel
1: Love Austin.
2: That's right. There is a reading group online. So you don't even have to come to Austin. There is a reading group that you can sign up for now. It starts in January uh, that we're co sponsoring with Austin and Connection. All the proceeds will go to this nonprofit that teaches the world about relational sciences and brings training to therapists about And
1: it's the it. reading group on the same book.
2: That's right. It's so, a reading group on
1: David Elliott. And if you can't make it to Austin, that's another way to really get some in-depth training and experience with the book. And if you are coming to Austin, it's a way to really, really familiarize yourself before the conference, which is an awesome idea.
2: That's right. And you can find that at Eventbrite. Go to eventbrite.com and it's B-R-I-T-E and just search Therapist Uncensored and you will find uh, several offerings actually there for us. All right, Mason, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you all for having me. You were fantastic. It was totally fun. All right. All right, we'll see you around the bend.
0: Therapist Uncensored is Anne Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.